1: My new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success.
2: Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be joined by Alexander Selesnev, who is a senior advisor and portfolio strategist at CBM, Counselor Buchanan & Mitchell. He's also the chief operating officer of May Bernard Investments, an SEC-registered RIA. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Seth. Great to be with you. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started in the financial services industry? Oh,
1: well, I actually started when I've been doing this for almost 12 years now. I started Merrill Lynch. You know, it worked out really well for me, but then I quickly discovered that it's actually not something that I would like that I would like to be doing for for the long run. So then I work with the, in a couple of other firms, mostly in analytical positions, and then finally I ended up in the DC area, which is where I, I am now. And then after two years of working with you know Debbie May, uh, one of the partners I'm working with now, we actually decided to launch our investment management business. The name is mbi so that's that's how we started
2: okay and what tell us i mean it sounds like you have two roles being a senior advisor and portfolio strategist and being chief operating officer talk about the responsibilities of each and how you juggle both
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, this is actually one of the reasons I enjoy doing what I do so much because essentially I am doing both. Um, I would say roughly half of my work, um, you know, is directly with clients, understanding their goals and objectives and what is it that they're truly trying to accomplish. And we really go far. None of our recommendations are cookie cutter. We always start from scratch. And then on the you know, investment side or operations side. That's, that's how I usually refer to it. Well, actually, I've been spending less time on it, you know, because we have other people who are uh, helping me quite a bit, but I still enjoy, enjoy that work. And, you know, in the long run, I'll probably still be doing at least some of it.
2: Okay. So we're recording this during the height of the COVID pandemic. Obviously, we're not asking for any investment advice on this show, but what conversations, how are you talking about that with clients now? Oh, that's, that's a great question, Seth. So,
1: I'll tell you, in March and April, in many cases, we had, I'll tell you, the most I ever had in one day was 11 phone calls. I never had that many in, in the past. So, the most important idea is to stick to your plan, assuming, of course, you have one in place. And for essentially all of our clients, we always have a plan in place. I like to say, look, it can fit on a single sheet of, of paper, that's perfectly fine, but you need to have something in place. Now, in March or, you know, April of this year, it just happened that we rebalanced all of our portfolios actually earlier this year, so we're fully prepared to actually take advantage of it. I will say that at the time, we wanted to do it gradually, meaning, you know, selling bonds and reinvesting in equities. I wish, in retrospect, I wish we, you know, we did more of that, but it, of course, it's hard to say, but again, the idea is to really take advantage of it. And then quickly fast forward, we are expecting more market volatility later this year for a variety of reasons. Um, so we're preparing, again, our portfolios to potentially take advantage of that as well.
2: All right. You work with a number of different types of clients. How do you juggle all of I mean, they're, they're working with business owners, doctors, attorneys, retirees all the way down to the younger professionals right. who might be more growth oriented. How do you balance and juggle all of those diverse, diverse needs?
1: Absolutely, Seth. So it's always, personalized. One thing I like to say, like specifically on the investment side, we will not even start that conversation up until we fully understand your goals and objectives. And it's interesting you mentioned, you know, all of these people, and it's really diverse. But in most cases, people really reach out to us when they're transitioning, you know, into the next chapter of their life. That's how I like to say it, or they're experiencing some kind of significant event. In some cases, it's positive. In some other cases, unfortunately, it's not that positive. But that's really where we step in. We analyze their situation. We craft a financial plan for them. And only
2: then we talk about their investments. That makes a lot of sense. You talk a lot about being holistic. What does that mean to you? Oh, absolutely. So that
1: means to us that we go beyond your financial goals. So, and interesting, it's actually a very good question, Seth. Uh, we usually start a conversation by simply saying, well, what is important for you? You know, what goals do you have besides your financial goals? And it's interesting what people tell you. And I'll tell you this, it's not only about your investment returns. For many people, it's about leaving their assets to the next generation, just just, just to make one example. For other people, they absolutely prefer to fund their children's education before they found their own retirement, which is you know, perhaps a little questionable, but from our perspective, it's not just their financial goals.
2: Okay, now you are both a certified financial planner and a chartered financial analyst. How do you feel that those advanced designations and study programs helped improve your ability to serve clients? <laughs> Tremendously,
1: I'll put it that way. Uh, not, to, not to necessarily criticize anyone here, but what I see quite frequently is that different people approach the same problem, you know, frequently from only one perspective. So, you know, CPA would approach it one way, an investment guy, different way, you know, financial planner, perhaps a third way, but who will actually do this holistically? So the fact that I have both and the fact that I'm, you know, doing both financial plan and investment work really, uh, you know, gives me tools to be a financial quarterback for our clients. Because again, I understand all three sides um, of the issue.
2: How, you talked about being a financial quarterback. Who are the other professionals that you make, make up that team with you? And then kind of how are you managing them all?
1: That's oh, another great question, Seth. So we have nine people in our group at this point. We have five advisors and four analysts, You know, different roles. We have five certified financial planners, two, um, CFAs or Chartered Financial Analysts. We have three uh, Chartered Divorce Financial Analysts or CDFAs and four CPAs. So as you can imagine, there is a lot of depth and all of us bring something to the table. So I, I refer to myself as the investments guy. One of the partners in our group, she has a lot of experience with divorce. The other one is a former auditor. So everyone is bringing something um, to the table. So that's what we do in office. But we, of course, have a great network of referrals. Just to make an example, if someone needs um, a state plan, we would refer to someone else. If someone needs any kind of insurance, we also have a strong group of referrals
2: that we would be working with. You mentioned that network kind of several times. Talk a little bit, how often do you touch your clients and how are you touching them? Because I know you're a proactive communicator.
1: That's another great point, Seth. So it, it happens in practice that we're you know reaching out to our clients at least monthly. That's not necessarily by design, by design it's uh, you know quarterly, we usually release our reports quarterly and then we'll talk about their asset allocation, their goals and objectives. But again, we do so many things as part of CBM that in practice it's, I'll just put it this way, it's more than 10 times a year. Year-end tax planning, we're getting closer to that point. Then of course when you know, our clients need to file their tax returns, we'll help them with that as well. Investments, I'll tell you with multiple clients, we talked several times actually in March and April of this year, and it's meant to be that way. That's one of the things I say, you become part of our firm and we want you to reach out you know, with any financial questions to us, not just investments, not just financial planning, anything, um, fi- anything financial.
2: Sure. You, do you mind sharing with us approximately how many households your firm as a total is serving right now and what type of assets under management you're responsible for?
1: Absolutely. It's another great question. So it's exactly 121 uh, families, relationships. That's how we look at it. At this time, we're managing almost 250 million um, on a discretionary basis and close to 300 on a non-discretionary basis. Uh, one thing I didn't necessarily talk about much, but we do a lot of consulting work, and that is perfectly fine by us. That means that our clients reach out to us. We would do exactly the same type of work that we would, you know, do under the AUM model, but, you know, they would essentially be responsible for the implementation of, um, of our recommendations.
2: So in that case, they're paying for the advice and then the actual work is being handled some, maybe by their brother-in-law or somewhere else.
1: That is perfectly fine by us. And again, I, I always say that if, if someone you know reaches out to us, I would describe both. And I would say, look, we will be doing exactly the same work for you, but realize if you, you know, if you go the consulting route, you'll be responsible for the implementation. That's one. And also for monitoring of your financial plan and your investment asset allocation. But
2: it's it's really a choice. Absolutely. How you obviously crossing the half billion dollar mark is a certain is a certain level of success in our industry. How have you brought those fam- all those families and all that money under your roof? How have you grown the firm? Talk a little bit about the marketing behind it.
1: Absolutely. So – seven, what, maybe a little more than seven years ago at this point, we mostly focused on on our consulting work. At the time, MBI didn't exist. And I I clearly remember that meeting with one one person. Uh, We prepared a financial plan for her. We discussed, you know, pros and cons of doing different things. And then we essentially told her, well, take this plan, go to your advisor and have him implement it for you. So then, you know, she actually got back to us and said, well, doesn't really make sense. Why wouldn't you, wouldn't you do this for us? So that was essentially the, the starting point. We converted a lot of our consulting clients um, to the AUM model. So that was step one. Step two was to really look into our network. We have a great network in the DMV area. Most of our clients come to us through referrals. Many of them, they've been working with us for years and years, in some cases, decades, On the tax side, on the divorce side, and the consulting side. So that's stage two. And then finally, um, three years ago, we merged with CBM, um, as you mentioned earlier. And a lot of our new clients are actually coming from, um, from CBM, from their existing client network.
2: Okay, and then you're also a member of both the CFA Society of Washington and the National Capital Association of Financial Planners. Talk a little bit about those industry associations and what you feel those have kind of added to your value. Great, Uh, very, it's interesting. Both are great networks.
1: I very much enjoy um, going to different meetings in both groups. Unfortunately, over the past six months, uh, mostly video meetings, which are great, but it 's not the same. But at the same time, they're very different, very different perspectives. as you can imagine with the Financial Planning Association, most of the topics are you know financial in nature, they're broad. Um, you know, Many speakers actually join our uh, meetings and you know, they essentially present to us. They're, they're you know, trying to educate us on new products to make one example. Um, our CFA meetings, they're more technical in nature, which I enjoy as well. And usually they're in smaller groups. So it's usually more of a discussion. So it's again, on the surface, they're trying to accomplish the same goal, but in practice, they're very
2: different. What do you like best about what you do?
1: Working with clients. That is, that is what I absolutely love. Um, every, every morning I essentially wake up and I usually have at least a couple of meetings a day. Uh, and we really help people. That's, that's something that I enjoy the most. And again, when someone reaches out to us in many cases, not always, but in many cases, again, there is no clear idea of what their goals and objectives are and specifically how people would be accomplishing those goals. So as part of this holistic process, we guide people um, toward, again, their goals and objectives. And then, of course, over time,
2: we ensure that they're on track to accomplish those goals. With all the success your firm has achieved, what would you say your biggest challenge is now?
1: Transitioning into the, let's call it the new normal, Let's, let's put it that way. I would say there's a lot of uncertainty at this point, including you know, things like, like this you know, webinar that we're doing right now, this video recording. I'll tell you, we've been quite successful in doing that. Um, over the past, what, six months at this point, we as a firm, not just our group, we had more than 30 different webinars, if not 40. And something tells me, you know, going forward, that's how we're going to be operating. Same goes for client interaction. Of course, you know, at this point, hundreds of different video meetings. And something tells me, you know, once this whole COVID situation is over, we'll not necessarily go back to meeting in person all that frequently. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that's that's the reality. That's how we'll likely move forward again when this whole thing is over.
2: As we record this, we've got an election coming up in about a month. Take a guess. Any predictions as to A, who wins and B how the market reacts? Uh, absolutely.
1: So we follow it quite closely. As we speak today, and today is what the eighth, it is likely that we'll experience a democratic sweep. And I'm not necessarily saying it's good or bad. I'm, I'm I do not believe I'm sure. In a you're being agnostic. To, we respect that. Absolutely. But that's what we're essentially preparing for. What I like to say is, when someone tells me the opposite, well, what is it that someone knows that the entire market does not? And when when you look at how the market has been performing at least over the past couple of weeks, well, again, it's telling you something. Perhaps people are becoming more and more more comfortable with that. From our perspective, as I mentioned earlier, election is, of course, one of those things. But, you know, continuation of the pandemic, when when someone says that the coronavirus is going to be back, I always say, well, why would it be back? It hasn't left us yet. So we'll probably have even more of it. We want to be fully prepared. So as a result of that, again, we're rebalancing our portfolios and we're preparing for more volatility, regardless of the reason. We want to be prepared and even better, we want to be in a position to take, take advantage of that.
2: So does that mean on average, you've, it sounds like you've increased your allocation to cash or, or, or non-equity investments? And if so, by what percentage ballpark? Up. Uh,
1: the answer to your question would be yes and no. And what I mean by that, let me make a more of a specific example. For someone who, who's invested in an allocation of 70% stocks and 30% bonds, given where we are with interest rates, it is possible and probable actually that we're recommended a shift toward perhaps more dividend-paying stocks, so shifting to something like 75-25. But at the same time, that 25% piece can be in something like cash, something like money market accounts or short-term bonds that can be easily redeployed to basically buy stocks. Uh, but again, they, we're not trying to keep our allocations bond heavy at this point. We're quite concerned with where we are with interest rates. Um, you know, The expectation is that they'll stay low for at least three years. And again, especially for larger portfolios, when you tell someone you know, how much money is sitting and not earning you much, we're trying to, you know, keep it balanced.
2: Absolutely. Well, you've been on an absolutely fascinating journey. What is the best place for our audience to go to learn more about you and what you're doing at uh, at both companies?
1: Absolutely. So please visit our website. We have two of them. Uh, the first one is um, cbmcpa.com. And the second website dedicated to our investment management group is May Barnhart Investments com. So please visit both websites to learn about what we do. And of course, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out directly to me or anyone in our team.
2: All right. This has been Seth Green with Alexander Selesnev of Portfolio Strategist and Senior Advisor at CBM and Chief Operating Officer of May Bernhard Investments. Alexander, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. My pleasure. Thank thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.